This autumn we've been talking together about um, what it means to be an everyday church. Um, We've talked about the demise of institutional church going, uh, the decline of numbers of people attending churches like this. And we we talked, if you remember, one Sunday about a reality that as many as 70% of the UK population in these times that we live in have declared that they're not planning to come to a gathering like this anytime soon. And we're asking ourselves, well, how can we be a church for a time like this? How can we be a, a church where we can meet people and share Jesus Christ with them where they really are um, in the Monday to Saturday in places away from these church buildings? To encourage us for being an everyday church, we've decided that we want to study together from uh, Peter's first letter, so 1 Peter. And we've seen there a few weeks ago when we started the series that he's not writing to influential mega churches of his day, not to places where hundreds or thousands gather. He's writing to people, Christians, who are absolutely without influence in their culture. If you look at the opening verse of 1 Peter, please have the the book of 1 Peter open before you there as as I uh, teach here this morning. In the opening verse, he describes the people he's writing to as strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, and so on. So these folks are strangers and they're scattered. They're not witnessing to God from a position of strength. They're not at the center of their culture they, they seem to be like a, a humble, grassroots kind of a, a community. But they want to learn to, to show and tell Jesus in their everyday lives. Let's begin to look at our passage for this morning, beginning there at verse 13. Therefore, Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is received. Whenever we see a a therefore in one of Peter's or Paul's letters, it's always good to ask, wherefore? What's what's the therefore, therefore? What's Peter said previously that he wants us to consider just at this point in his argument? Well, as we know from our studies in verses 1 to 12, Peter's been talking about a new birth that these scattered Christians have experienced in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Sam taught this passage way back four weeks ago now, he taught us, he showed us how this new birth gives us a living hope, a precious faith, and a privileged position. That's all there in those first 12 verses. Uh, You maybe remember some of that. So when he says, therefore, in verse 13, at the beginning of our passage, Peter's saying, in light of this new birth and the living hope, that privileged position that you have, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, and so on. There's something very simple but fundamental here that I don't want us to miss before we charge on into the text And that is the truth that every man or woman or boy or girl who's born again 
who's given a new life in Jesus Christ needs to learn how to live that new life. We've been born again, and that's, that's biblical language. It talks about a dramatic change. But we then need to grow into that new identity that we've found in Jesus. So verse 13 marks a transition. Peter's use of the indicative, where he's been telling us how things already are because of what God has done for us in Jesus. And now he's moving to the imperative. He begins to tell us how things should be in light of things that just are. This morning we'll see that even though he's moving to imperatives where he's beginning to tell uh, his audience some things that should be, he constantly point them back to the gospel. It's all based in and rooted in the new life that they have in Jesus. In our NIV Bibles, the passage that we're looking at this morning has a simple heading. It says, be holy. And I think that's a, a pretty good summary of where we're going here this morning. I want you to notice three themes this morning under this umbrella. First of all, God's people are holy people. Secondly, they're strangers. And thirdly, they're people of God's word. Holy people, strangers, people of God's word. So firstly, that they're holy people. Look at verses 14 to 15. He says, as obedient children... Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. Peter wants these guys to change and he puts it in terms of a stop-start dynamic. There's some things he wants them to stop. Stop conforming to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Before you followed Christ, Peter's saying, you lived following your evil desires every bit as much as any other person. You were selfish. You were interested only in what would make you more powerful, wealthier, more comfortable. You didn't love God, and you didn't love each other. But then you encountered Jesus Christ. He's given you a new birth into a new way of life. So stop. Stop living that way. And then Peter says there's something you've got to start to be holy in all that you do. Be holy in all that you do because God who's given you the new birth, who's called you to new life, is holy. And he wants you to be like him. I'm going to guess that you're really enjoying hearing the word holy. It's a real 2013 kind of a word, isn't it? Everybody in your workplace loves to talk about holiness. You're always comparing notes on how you can grow in holiness. This, this is just where our culture is at. Uh, we want to be holy, don't we? Folks, it seems to me that God's people have always struggled to know what this is all about what it means to be holy. We've understood something about being set apart and being different, and of course that's right at the heart of the meaning of this word. But just when God's people Israel had, had taken that idea of being set apart and being different and turned it into something about aloofness and superiority and spoiling other people's fun, 
along came Jesus Christ. God's Son among us. The Holy One. And He showed us for the first time what holiness in a human being looks like. Jesus had a a life which in many ways was very difficult. He endured a lot of opposition. But he loved life. He talked about the life that he lived and the life that he offered as life to the full. And although he fasted and lived a simple life, he knew how to celebrate and how to party. Jesus was the friend of sinners. That's what they called him. So this is really interesting. The Holy One, when he comes among us, ends up spending his time with sinful people. He never once worried that the sin of a sinner would contaminate him. Instead, he went among them ready to contaminate them and affect them with his grace and his kindness and his transformation. Folks, if you have any questions about what holiness is, I just point you straight to Jesus Christ. If you want to know what holiness looks like in human form, he's the one to look to. Disciple yourself to him. Become his apprentice. Learn to walk in his ways. And then you are walking in holiness. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. By the way, this this holiness that we're called to, it's not just for ministers or missionaries, not just for elders or church leaders, and it's not even just for people who've reached a certain age. This is for everyone who's in Jesus Christ. Folks, I wonder if you've ever grasped how much your holiness is at the center of God's plans for the world. In verse 16, Peter quotes the Old Testament. He says that he wants people to be holy. God says, be holy because I am holy. And the footnote here tells us that that's that's not being sourced from a single verse. There's a cluster of Old Testament references that tell us to be holy because God is holy. God wants us to be holy because he is holy. He wants us to look a lot like him. That's what we're for. We're to show the world what he looks like. Folks, that's why we're going to great lengths at Kirkpatrick Memorial to find ways to to encourage each other to grow in holiness, but also to put that before the world, a watching world, where everyday followers of Jesus Christ wanting to show Jesus to the community around him. You see see people in East Belfast, if they want to know what God is like, if they want to know what Jesus looks like, they're absolutely 100% entitled to come here and to look and to make their evaluations based on what they find here. That's what God's word says. You know that line, you, you say to somebody whenever they've, they've been in the company of grumpy, cantankerous, awful Christians, and you say, well, forget about them, look to Jesus. It's not a biblical line. God's word says they should be able to look to them, to us, 
because we're to be the people who show something of God's beauty in the world. That's the first thing. God's people are to be holy people. Second thing that Peter goes on to, to, to uh, prioritize, to stress in this passage, is that God's people are strangers, and the two are related. He says in verse 17, Lift your, live your lives as strangers in reverent fear. That idea of, of God's people being strangers is really fundamental here in First Peter. Uh, we saw it in that opening verse, chapter 1, verse 1, where he calls them strangers in the world. In, in verses 17 to 21, he very quickly gives two reasons why this is our, why we have this identity as strangers. First in verse 17, he reminds us that only God will finally judge our work. So that is, the final evaluation of my life and yours lies not on this earth. It lies beyond. Secondly, in verses 18 and 19, Peter reminds us that we've been bought with something greater than all that's in this earth. We've been bought with the perishable, not with perishable things, such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. It's taken riches beyond this world to give us new life, and our whole lives are going to be evaluated beyond this earth. Do, do you see it? Our identity is not here. This is not who we are. We're not defined by anything in this earth. Not by what grade you got in your 11 plus or your AQE, or whatever other way we find of grading and evaluating people. Not by the job that you manage to get into, not by the address that you have, not by the number of bedrooms in your home, not by the brands on your clothes or on your cars. You are defined by the blood of Jesus Christ and the final evaluation of God. That's who you are. And that makes you a stranger in this earth. You've moved out of that into something else. I wonder how we find ourselves responding to Peter's idea that we're strangers on this earth. Peter, we hear what you're saying. It's a nice idea, but it's not really going to work for us. I mean, do you know where we live? We live in suburban East Belfast. We're very middle class in these parts. We've spent most of our lives working hard to fit in with the people around us. We've found a way of living among them now that they, they no longer think we're weird. In fact, they don't think we're different at all. We have given our lives to finding a way to being friends with the world and now you're saying we're to be strangers? Sometimes in conversation with, with folks in these parts, I find myself a, a little shocked at how accommodated we feel to, to this part of Belfast where we live. People will say things like, it's great to live in this part of East Belfast. It's a, it's a really great place to be a Christian. It's a place, great place to bring up uh, your children uh, as Christians. And I'm left wondering, really? 
Are we so blind? Look again at verse 18. Peter says we've been redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers. Folks, the East Belfast dream, in whatever form it comes, is an empty way of life. We find it easy to sneer, I think, sometimes at those below the Hollywood arches whose identities are caught up in their tribal allegiances, whose dreams can be wrapped in union flags or in tricklers. But the futility is every bit as evident in other parts of the Newtonards Road, if only with eyes to see it. In our neighborhood round here, our identities are caught up in what school we manage to get to, what career we nail down, how much we can earn to consume and to gather so that we can impress our friends. Folks, East Belfast, above and below the arches, is not such a Christian place as we think. If Peter's right, it offers only a soulless, materialistic culture that's taking us away from God. He calls it an empty way of life, handed down to us by our forefathers. Folks, here's the gospel in all of this. When Jesus Christ paid more than silver and gold for us, when he paid his precious blood, he bought us out of that. He set us free from being slaves to a culture given to us, shaped for us by our ancestors or forefathers. He died to set us free from the futility that surrounds us. Maybe you're here today and you feel hopeless because you look at the life that you're living and there's nothing worthwhile in it. If you're in Christ, you're redeemed by the most precious thing of all, the blood of Jesus Christ. You're free to be a stranger to this world and a friend of the living God. We're holy people. We're strangers in the world. Thirdly and finally, we're to be people of God's word. In the closing verses of the the chapter, Peter mentions God's word four times or alludes to it. In verse 22, he says, you've been purified by obeying the truth. Verse 23, he says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 40, a chapter where the the prophet contrasts the, the passing grass and the flowers of the field with the word of God. It's imperishable. It's like a rock. The word of the Lord stands forever. And this, Peter says, is the word that was preached to you. There's a sermon in there on its own, but I don't have time for that here today. When Peter talks about people being born again of the living and enduring word of God, I'm imagining him remembering his own experience. 
how he was a fisherman on the shores of Galilee, and then, then Jesus Christ moved through the neighborhood. And he started to hear him preach the gospel and his invitation to follow and to be a disciple. And the word of God called a new life into being for Peter. He's reflecting not only on his own experience, but the experience of the, the whole early church. By the time Peter writes his letter, thousands, tens of thousands beyond Jerusalem, spreading right through the Roman Empire, have heard this word, the good news about Jesus Christ, the call to find new life in him. And it's turning the Roman Empire upside down. The Apostle Paul talked about the importance of God's word. And he put it like this. He said, faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. In his book, Hearing God, Dallas Willard says this. As the word of God in creation brought forth light and matter and life, so the gospel of Christ comes to us when we're biologically dead, but biologically alive but dead to God. It empowers us to see and enter the kingdom of God. It opens the doors of the heart and it enters the mind. From there, it's progressively able to transform the whole personality. Folks, we began this morning by noticing that the Christian has experienced a new birth and we said that since we've been born again, we need to learn to live again. Well, let's, let's run with that metaphor for the last couple of minutes. What's the first thing in a parent's mind when a new baby is born? They need to learn to feed. Peter continues with that metaphor, chapter 2, verse 2. He says that just like newborn babies, those who come alive in Christ should crave pure spiritual milk. Have you been in the company of a newborn baby recently? Have you experienced their 100% commitment to getting the milk that they need? Once they start crying for milk, they are unstoppable. You can't distract them with a TV or with an iPhone. It's easier to negotiate with a Middle Eastern terrorist than a baby who wants fed. And here Peter says, be like that. Develop that kind of an appetite for the living word of God. Folks, I want to close this morning by encouraging you to get into the word of God. I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to do it at home. Church once a week isn't going to, to build you up the, the way you could be built up. If you've never taken to reading the Bible, start. And if you don't know where to begin, come and talk to me and I'd be glad to talk to you. If you've given up in recent times, then get back to it. Don't go back to the thing that you had to give up because it wasn't working anymore. Try something different. But learn to be back in God's word. 
If you're not sharing the Bible with your spouse or your family or doing something that makes the the Bible the center of your home, find a way. Because if this metaphor is true, you'll not grow unless you do. Crave pure spiritual milk. Folks, we've seen this morning that God's people are to be holy people, that they're strangers in the world. And let me tell you, that doesn't feel like an easy calling for me, and I'm sure maybe for you. It's because it's a hard calling that we need to find ways to, to, to be built up for this. God gives us his word. We've been talking about that. He gives us his Holy Spirit to come and to, to make his word live, to empower us to live for him. There's another thing that God gives us when we live for him as holy strangers, everyday Christians. He gives us each other. I've just been reading David Watson's book, Discipleship, again, with a, a group of guys in the introduction to discipleship groups. And we read recently where David Watson says this, Christians urgently need the strength and support of other committed disciples. And then he goes on to quote a guy called Ronald Sider. He says, the values of our affluent society seep slowly and subtly into our hearts and minds. The only way to defy them is to immerse ourselves deeply into Christian fellowship so that God can fundamentally remold our thinking as we find our primary identity with other brothers and sisters who are unconditionally committed to biblical values. If we're going to live well for God, we need to help each other to do it. Holy people, strangers in the world, feeding on God's word together. Let's do it. And let's do it together. Let me pray. Father God, sometimes we look at our gatherings, whether it be the large Sunday gathering or the the smaller gathering on, on a midweek evening, and they begin to feel trivial to us. They begin to feel unimportant. Lord, that's the case whenever we lose sight of your vision for us. Your vision for us is that we live as as holy people, strangers in this world, setting East Belfast on fire for you. Lord, when we recapture that vision, then we, then we want to be together, gathered around your word. Then we want to be together in our small groups, praying for each other, building each other up. Lord, we pray that as well as taking the new life that you give us in Jesus, we'd be ready to grow in it, to mature, to become more and more the people that you call us to be. We pray that you would help us to receive from you all the help that you will give us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.